As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for jumping on this live room episode. We are now knee-deep in the offseason. The entire 2023 NFL year is now well done because the Bills and the rest of the NFL will be heading to Indianapolis for the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine next week just announced literally minutes before this podcast began is that the NFL salary cap has been set at $255.4 million per club, which is an increase from the projected numbers of what we thought uh, what uh, was out there, which was around $242 million. So obviously that helps the bills and helps players heading to free agency and helps really every other NFL team in trying to be cap compliant and doing what they need to do this offseason. But that said, it still leaves a lot of questions and the Bills have plenty of them because they are, even with the salary cap announcement, they are still a fresh around 41 or $42 million over the 2024 salary cap, um, according, you know, projecting uh, what was originally $55 million, um, projected by OverTheCap.com. And since the cap increased from the projected point of $242 million to $255.4 million, that's ob- obviously $13.4 million in breathing space, potentially for the Bills. But it is not breathing spaces in finger quotes here because they are still over 40 million over the cap from from a uh, projected standpoint. So they still have to make tons of decisions and everything like that, but uh still a lot of uh, of avenues to go down and maybe a little bit more flexibility than than they were anticipating. All right. So if you have never done one of these live room episodes, uh the basis of it is you type in your question right into the dialogue box of uh of the athletic app. And I will get to as many of these that as possible throughout the 
throughout the rest of the show here. And we'll go somewhere between 40 minutes to an hour, depending on, on how many questions there are. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of subtopics that come up because you look at every single position, most of them have some kind of question, whether it be wide receiver, whether it be safety, cornerback, um, defensive tackle, defensive end. The offensive tackle room even has some questions here. Um, the, the really, you can even throw quarterback into the mix too, because you know the backup quarterback situation is another one to monitor too. So really, outside of maybe the interior offensive line, you could come up with a question about with on just about any position on this roster this year. So any questions you have, fire them into the text box right here on the Athletic app if you're listening live. And, uh, and I will get to as many as possible. Uh, Alexander writes, what wide receiver do you see the bills falling for in the NFL draft? Uh, Alexander writes, I feel like Xavier worthy has a level of explosiveness and separation that Josh Allen would love. Now, Alexander, uh, I will say that I leave my draft prep for after the combine. So in terms of specific fits, I really hit the film, uh, and wide receivers will be one of the first positions I get to. I hit the film once we get back from Indianapolis. It's just, it's my process. It's it's weird, but um, but it's it. I try to detox a lot of the 2023 season ahead of the the NFL scouting combine. Get every get everyone's ducks in the row, and and from a fresh perspective. And then move it forward because a lot of the draft stuff gets impacted so heavily by free agency. And, you know, you could spend a lot of time watching one position thinking, hey, this is going to be the one. And then they do something in free agency that basically uh, makes it null and void. So, um, so yeah, wide receivers will be on, on my to-do list uh, as soon as we get back from the combine. But in terms of the type of receiver they would be looking for. You know, I think the combination of size and explosiveness is probably where they would like to go most, but it doesn't necessarily need to be size as a as a predeterminant here. Like as long as they have someone and this is something that I got into in my wide receiver uh, review that posted, you know, a few days ago. It became painfully obvious that teams just did not respect the Bills ability outside of Stefan Diggs to get down the field. And that impacted a lot of what they did on offense, whether whether it be how far down the field that they they targeted Diggs. He essentially became a very short yardage receiver that had to get yards after catch. I mean, his A dot was almost two yards lower than what it was in, in 2022. And for those unfamiliar with what A dot is, that's average depth of target, which is exactly what you think it is. Where uh, how far down the field, on average, that a receiver is when uh, being thrown a target by the quarterback. And Diggs was, you know, over, close to or over 11 yards. I don't have it right in front of me, but he was he was down by almost two yards in, in 2023. And that's significant. And that's not anything to do with what Stefan Diggs was doing on the field because He's still a good player. You still see on film everything that he's able to do when given the time to actually run intermediate routes, run deep routes. But because they had to work themselves up to these deep, this deep stuff throughout, throughout a game, if the one shot didn't go well, 
then that would basically be it. I mean, Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid, both very good targets and one that and two that will figure in prominently into the offense next season. But Shakir is more of an underneath the intermediate target. Same thing with Dalton Kincaid. These aren't um, guys that defenses have to respect in taking a top off a defense. And Gabe Davis just was not that guy last year. He just wasn't consistent enough, wasn't uncovering enough deep down the field. And that really, I think, did a lot, um, a lot to uh, to undo what they were trying to do offensively with their passing game. So I don't think it was a, a case of Stefan Diggs being past his prime or magically hitting a wall once he hit the age of 30. You know, his he was on pace early on in the season to have his most prolific season as a member of the Bills. And in his NFL career, he just didn't magically forget how to play football. So I think they would benefit from from speed and explosiveness most of all. And if that comes with the package of size, too, to fill that X receiver role, I think that would be the ideal of what they're looking for. All right. Paul writes in, how much do you think the salary cap increase changes the Bills plan? Maybe more money for Gabe Davis? Conceivably, but... That also means there's going to be more money out there for someone like Gabe Davis. I mean, you multiply $13.4 million uh, when you multiply $13.4 million by 32. And that's how much additional cap space, conceivably, will be out there in the free agent market, which means the price of admission on some of these positions that we're talking about is going to go up. And if, and the the guy that I keep going back to, and this is not the same player as Gabe Davis by any stretch, but Jacoby Myers is like a good, not great receiver, right? $11 million uh, per year signed last off season. Now with a $30 million increase in the salary cap from last year to this year, you're probably going to see that type of contract rise up to the 13, 14 million dollar range. And that's even to say that Davis and Myers is looked at uh, on the same realm in uh, uh, by NFL teams out there. And it's a different case because Davis is a couple of years younger, you know, a little bit more explosive, has those big boom games. There's going to be some desperate teams out there for receiver help. Like the Panthers come to mind most most certainly. They've got Nothing going on at receiver right now. I could easily see Davis with this new salary cap announcement pushing 15, 16 million per year. And that's just too much to me. I, uh, you know, it could change their plans and they'll stay open for Gabe Davis, of course. But it just kind of feels like their wide receiver position needs a little bit of a refresh. And I talked a, a lot about the reasons why in the answer to the first question. And I just don't know that Gabe Davis is a fit for what they want this thing to be moving forward. Because not only do they want someone that can help in the short term, but probably develop into a long-term number one once Stefan Diggs' Bill's career is over. And is Davis that guy? I don't see it personally. 
you know, maybe the Bills do, but you know, the way that they if if they saw it that way, I think they probably would have found a way to get him under contract before the season or during the season or something like that. They've been very good with those re-signing guys. But the fact that they're letting it go means they have a hang-up somewhere. And it's not just the slam dunk. For guys that they want to be there for the long term, they make it happen. I just don't know that Davis is that guy. Abigail writes in, uh, the Bills in Review series has been a very informative read. Great work. Your analysis is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Abigail. I appreciate that. What has what was what has been your favorite group to break down this offseason? I think it's just because it's so convoluted and I love really complex situations, because you know, I'm a I'm a crazed person. Uh probably the cornerback group. Just because there's so much going on there. You've got Christian Benford, who looked really good once they committed to him as a starting player. You have Rasul Douglas, who they traded for last year. Traded a, a third, and, third and a fifth for Rasul Douglas and a fourth. And then there's also Tredavious White, who tore his Achilles in a very early October still under contract, just like Douglas and Benford. And then Kair Elam, who was their first round pick from 2022, who has fallen completely out of favor um, in terms of even thinking about him as a starter in this Bills defense. And he's still under contract too. So even though they've got six guys right now under contract, well, seven if you count eight if you count Jamarcus Ingram and Kyron Brown, but they have six guys under contract at, at cornerback. So trying to see what they're going to do, not only from a starting perspective, but also in how they can give themselves some cap relief, who they might start. It's probably my, my favorite one. And that's the one that posted today over, over at the athletic. Um, and a lot of it revolves around Tredavious white, because I think there's been a, there's been a bit of a, I don't want to say groundswell, but it's been a popular sentiment by some vocal vocal pieces of the fan base to say, hey, just cut Tredavious White. You know, he's he was good for for seven years. He's been one of those guys that that helped form the team, but you gotta know when when it's time to go. And I just don't know that I see it the the same way because I think the Bills have more options than just to flat cut him. You know, I, I talked about at the beginning of of the show the fact that Tredavia or the fact that the, the Bills are facing still a substantial deficit to the 2024 salary cap, even though it is 13.4 million more than than it was originally projected to be. That would have them still over, you know, around the 41 to 42 million dollars over the cap in 2024. So they have to find ways to do it. And they only have 53 players signed right now. They need to get to 90. So the way that the salary cap works, and for those unfamiliar with it, only the, the top 51 highest contracts account towards the salary cap in the offseason. 
So that means if you cut someone, then that contract has to be replaced. So so if you see like for Tredavious White, in, for example, it's, I think it was, let me, let me get the exact number for you. Um, one sec, let me get to the page. It was a little over six million in in cap space, um, based on what you see on on the site like overthecap.com. But when you factor in the fact that you know it's a top fifty one thing, you only would say I I gauge it around like an eight hundred thousand dollar contract that that goes into the top fifty one. Usually it's a little bit more than that, but just to be clean, I I gauge it around eight hundred k. So that means you're only getting 5.3 million in savings for cutting Tredavious White outright. So I think that there is a uh, there is some potential here for them to work out somewhat of an agreement with Tredavious White because there's there's a few different things at play here. One is the torn Achilles, and both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean in the end of season press conference separate end-of-season press conferences, mind you, said, we want to get Tredavious White healthy and see where it goes from there. And I don't think that's something that's just, they're just saying to say. They have really loved having Tredavious White inside the building throughout the last seven seasons. And if there's a way for him to continue and to see if he still got it, then I think they're going to want to do that. So that's one of the situations because he has a 1.5 million roster bonus due, I think three or four days after the start of the new league year. And the start of the new league year is I think March 13th this year. So that means $1.5 million less than what they would potentially save in cutting him. So that's even a bigger chunk. And the, and the odds that he is healthy by the time the bills have to make that call, probably not great. That would mean he, he would need to be like working out and rounding in a form. And he was injured on October 2nd. I think it was, this is what October, November, December, January, February. That's five months removed from a torn Achilles. The odds that they're going to know if he's healthy enough, not great. And they want to see it, I think. I could be wrong, but that's 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 the read I got from them. And I also think there's a different way to go about this than just flat cutting him. If you were if they were to get him to agree to a non-guaranteed extension, like put him through 2027. And the reason why I say that is because you're able to prorate a little bit uh, some of the savings you would get this year. And effectively, in 2025, 26, and 27, it would basically be a pay-as-you-go type of contract. Like You wouldn't be beholden to him if you wanted to, to move on next year, you could, or two years from now, you could, three years from now, you could. But in doing so, it can help drop down his cap hit this year, and you still keep the player. So why would Tredavious White do this? And why would maybe he agree to some sort of restructure of this of this uh, magnitude? Well, because he is 
not owed a single cent from the bills as it stands right now. And it would be probably in his best interest to stay in Buffalo because this is probably where he's going to maximize his, his payday as a guy coming off a torn Achilles. So my idea that I wrote about over at theathletic.com was to effectively convert all but his veteran minimum of his uh, base salary plus the roster bonus plus his workout bonus into a prorated signing bonus. So basically his remaining base salary would be guaranteed. All of that prorated money I'm talking about would be would be guaranteed would be guaranteed. And then you turn another 3 million of his base salary into a playing time based incentive where he could earn it back from his original deal, but he would need to hit certain parameters. I think it's the best of both worlds here for for what the Bills are trying to do because you keep the player. He's still 29 years old, mind you. And they get to see whether or not he can get back to form. There's also the situation of Rasul Douglas is a free agent after this year. And with the cap rising, it's probably going to be looking for a lot more than maybe the Bills are willing to give. And he's older than Tredavious White. So you get to keep the player. You get more cap savings based on what I suggested than what you would get just by cutting him. And they get to keep a valuable piece of their locker room that can help bridge the first stage of the Bills build to the second stage of the Bills build with whoever else that they bring in. So yes, Abigail, that's why cornerback has been my favorite because there's just so many different things in it, at play. And um, it's kind of it was kind of lengthy to get through, but you know, those are the kind of situations that I love to dive into just because there's there's so many different avenues for the Bills to go down. All right. Uh, Tyler writes in, we've all heard the talk about a round one wide receiver, but what would you say is a dark horse pick in round one for the bills? Make it spicy. Um, I don't think this is spicy at all. Just because I probably think about where their roster could go way too much, but probably, Probably defensive end is is the one that that I look at more than any. They have a um, a player that I think they would like to have around for the long term in Greg Rousseau, and his game on film is far better than the counting stats would indicate. So I think he's kind of a, a core piece moving forward. But past that, they've got nothing. I mean, Von Miller is probably here for 2024. I don't really think that they want to, you know, push any of his cap down the line to 2025. I just don't think that that makes sense for them. Um, They likely look at this as a chance maybe to get one more year out of that investment, see what he's about, and and then move on from there. But they do need a right defensive end because Greg Rousseau, is at his best on the left side, and he played a lot on the right side this year, far more than than he had in any year of his career. You know, stats from from PFF where he lined up by year uh, 
in 2021, Rousseau's rookie year, he lined up 100% of the time on the defensive left side against right tackles. In 2022, his second year, Rousseau lined up 87.4% of the, th- of the time on the defensive left side against the right tackle. In 2023, he was only on the left side 45.7% of his defensive snaps. That is a huge shift. And I think a lot of that had to do with Leonard Floyd being at his best and not really being as flexible from from left to right. So they had Floyd play a lot of left, uh, uh, the defensive left side. Von Miller is at his best on the defensive left side. So Rousseau took one for the team. And because he has definitely progressed on the right side, played a majority of his snaps there. But to me, that's got to switch this this coming year, which is why the defensive end piece to the to the puzzle is intriguing for a for a first round target. If there's a guy there. Because you have Rousseau, I would think they're probably going to fire up the the fifth year. uh, The fifth year of his option of his contract, they need to decide that by May. So he'll be signed through 2025. Drafting a right-side defensive end would be able to pair that player with Rousseau as their starters for the next, potentially, three to four years. Four to five years if if uh, if you take that defensive end in the first round. So that I suppose that would be my dark horse pick, Tyler. I know it's not spicy like you wanted, but... You know, that seems to be where value meets need. And, you know, from taking a cursory look at some of the uh, Dane Brugler's big board, doesn't seem like there's a safety worth it in the first round um, this year. Maybe one will one will emerge, but doesn't look that way. Wide receiver, everyone talks about it. Defensive end. I don't think they want to do the defensive tackle thing because they just signed Ed Oliver to a long-term thing. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot of different um, a lot of different things you can consider, but I'll, I'll go with defensive end. All right, Emma writes in: What players do you think won't be restructured now with the higher cap? Well, the one that or the two that I. I had suggested in a in a piece that I did early in the month. About, I think I, I did a 15-step plan for how the Bills can get cap compliant. The two I suggested to not touch whatsoever, Von Miller and Stefan Diggs. Von Miller, simply for the fact that you want to maximize your savings in 2025 and getting out of his deal right now um, or, you know, pushing some of his money just to get some cap space right now while it's great in the short term, but it makes it a lot more difficult to part ways in 2025. Kind of the same deal with Stefan Diggs. And I don't think Diggs is going anywhere this year. That that's uh, unless, you know, Bean was actively lying. He believes in Stefan Diggs on this team. And I think he wants to surround Diggs and Allen with potentially a, another piece to be more explosive on offense, as opposed to get rid of another piece and taking another step back on offense. 
But that said, Diggs will turn 31 in late November of next season. And you don't exactly want to kick the can down the road on contracts for older players that you might consider um, getting out of their contracts in the following year. So it's not to say that they're going to want to, but I just think they should keep those two situations as fluid as possible heading into 2025 and not touching those contracts. The rest of them, you know, there's going to be some that are kind of involuntary here. Like Josh Allen, they need to do the old restructure base salary and, and bonus into a signing bonus and prorate it over the rest of his deal. Um, Dawson Knox is another one that they're going to have to do. And I know that's not a popular one, but um, he his his cap hit is just far too high for for that number. I think also some extensions uh it can can help them get there. It's not going to be a ton of cap space. I think you can probably get them somewhere between, you know, 15 to 20 million comfortably. But I think staying away from the Miller and Diggs, especially now that you have this extra cushion here based on the projected salary cap from what it was to what it actually is now. Stay away from from Diggs and Miller would be would be my bit of advice. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Paul writes in, what is your level of confidence in Vaughn having any impact at all in 2024? I do not have any level of confidence in that, Paul, but I do think he will be on the roster. You look at what he did in the playoffs and you can find some brief reasons for optimism right there uh, just because down the stretch against the Steelers, Von Miller put together his two best pass rushing snaps of the entire season where he looked a lot more like himself than at any point in the season. But to say that you can base your entire thought process about what he can be now another year older off of two snaps in the playoffs just does not seem like good process to me. Sure. The he uh, successfully utilized a bend around the edge that he hadn't done the entire season. And he even did an inside spin move when the offensive tackle was concerned about getting around the edge. But you also need to consider that the Steelers were starting a rookie who doesn't move all that well. And it was pretty close to the Steelers passing basically every single down at that point. So no, I don't have a very high level of confidence, but I do think he's going to have to play a fairly significant role this this upcoming season. I just don't see 
how they can get both Floyd and Epinesa back next year. I think it's likelier that both are gone than one coming back. Which means Miller is signed. They're going to want to get something out of him. And maybe he shares time with whatever rookie player that they bring in. Or maybe a, a lower cost free agent of something, something along those lines. But to sit here and say, hey, he's going to be an impact player next year, or he's going to get close to eight sacks, we'll say arbitrarily. I just I just can't get there. I think his best years are probably behind him, and the torn ACL was the catalyst for that. He just wasn't anywhere close. It was a lost year for him last year. So at the age of 35, we'll see what he has. Maybe he's he'll be a pleasant surprise for them when they need it because they don't have much at the defensive end position outside of Greg Rousseau. But I guess we'll just need to see it to believe it. Okay. Genre wrote in, who do you like at safety and defensive tackle for the Bills? You know, I said it early on in the show, but I, I leave my uh, prospect studying for after the combine once I get a sense of maybe where what direction the team might be going um, and and certainly get to get a little bit more of a condensed look at, at the draft pool. So uh, I will get into those later on in the off season, no doubt genre, but, um, but I don't, I don't have specific names for you right now from, from the draft that I think could, uh, could impact them. All right. Stefan wrote, does the new cap mean Bean doesn't have to restructure digs? Do you think he will anyway? That's kind of what I was getting to, Stefan. Um, I don't think he would have needed to even with the 55 million deficit if that's what it was. I think there's a way for them to get to some cap space without touching the digs and Miller contracts. So yeah, it's needing to eat that type of uh eat those cap hits as it stands right now but but yes I, I think it would be very easy for him to go okay let's restructure Stefan Diggs but I just think him going into turning 31 in late November you can never rule out it becoming a combustible situation I would just keep it as liquid as possible in 2025 if I were them. Randall writes in, will Daquan Jones be back? He is, to me, the player that they should intently focus on re-signing from their roster more than anyone else. And I know he's not like a super flashy name or anything like that. And he's up there in age. But in terms of cost, need of position, and being able to maximize the cap dollars you use on a player you know fits the scheme, I think it all just it checks every single one of those boxes. Daquan Jones was awesome in his first four games last year. Like, his pressure rate, was so much higher than than what he was in 2022 
the pass rushing component alone made him worth it. And then he had the run stuffing piece to it as well. He was just a dynamite one technique through those first four games. When he came back, the pass rushing piece wasn't there as strong, but he was still a solid run defender for them. So even if they get that version of Daquan Jones, the end of you, the just coming back from injury version or the 2022 version, they know that player works very well in their defensive scheme. And the cupboards have Ed Oliver and Ed Oliver alone right now. I mean, I guess you can include Ely but he's on a reserve futures deal. Oliver is the only one that they're counting on to be on their 53-man roster right now from the defensive tackle group. So Daquan Jones, to me, if they can get it done, and I think it'll probably be at a somewhat manageable cost because of his age and because he did suffer a pretty significant in-season injury, I think there's a lot of potential there for them to be able to bring him back on a manageable deal. All right, Jonathan writes in, of the four roster players from the 2023 NFL Draft, Dalton Kincaid, Osiris Torrance, Dorian Williams, and Justin Shorter, who has the most room for growth in the sophomore season? Hmm, it's it's down to Kincaid and Torrance, no doubt. I think those two guys showed quite a bit in in their first season. But I think I'm going to have to go with Kincaid and it might be a boring answer because he's the first round pick, but I think there is a chance that uh, that Dalton Kincaid, when all is said and done, is the best tight end in Bill's franchise history. I don't say that lightly either because I understand it's been a very long history, but it's also been a very long history of them not having good tight ends. <laughs> I mean, when you think of tight ends that have been good for the Bills over the, the course of time, the ones that come up immediately are like, okay, Pete Metzelar's, Okay, who else you got? <laughs> Jay Reimersma, Charles Clay, the guy who has the most yards from the tight end position in franchise history is Paul Costa, who had 726. That's not that was in 1960. I'm not I'm not saying it to, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying that, that uh, Kincaid is just going to be slightly better than those guys. I think there is a chance that Kincaid is a, is a really good player in, in the NFL. I think they need to commit to him the way that they did when Knox was out with an injury. Because you look at his metrics in in that, that um, span of games, he was on pace for a ridiculous season from, from tight end production. So I think they just need to commit to Kincaid as their top tight end. And especially if they invest in a wide receiver in the draft, that'll make a five-man skill group of Cook, Diggs, the receiver they draft, Shakir, and then a tight end, which should be Kincaid. So it'll probably shift what they look for out of Dawson Knox into him being more of the the blocker style and occasional a guy who occasionally chips in on the offense. But those guys on the open market tend to do pretty well too. So having Kincaid on a rookie deal and having Knox on one of those 
blocker friendly type deals. Um, I think that's that's maybe how they can they can manage this moving forward. But once they need to pay Kincaid, uh, that's I think that's going to be the end of Dawson Knox. So to answer your question, it's Kincaid closely. I think he can have a true breakout season next year if they commit to him. Torrance was really good in the first half of, of the year, fell off in the second half. So if he can sustain what he did in the first half, I think there's a chance that he could have a nice little sophomore season. Alex writes, <laughs> I just looked at the next question, but Alex writes, thoughts on whether the Bills cut Jordan Poyer to save the money or hold on to him to avoid having to get another starter? I think they need to keep their options open with, with that entire situation because they can save a little under $6 million to cut him. But the only reason that I think the Bills should cut him is if they know they are bringing in someone that they covet out of free agency to come in and take one of those safety spots because they're going to have to invest in a in a young safety this year I think unless they will just want to get by with with uh one year free agents for a year and then then push it down to next year but they need to make make some type of investment in the next couple of years so if they were to find someone that on the open market that was good from a cost perspective and they felt strongly about projecting forward at safety, then I think that could be grounds to get rid of Jordan Poyer. But I I wouldn't do it just to do it because he has institutional knowledge of the scheme. He's someone that new defensive coordinator Bobby Babich worked closely with when Babich was the safeties coach in Buffalo. And Poyer has a lot of respect for Babbage, so he can certainly help in that respect. And Poyer, even though he he took a step back last year, it's not as though he was terrible. Like he's still an above average player. So as if they can get that level of play out of him th- this coming season, that is perfectly fine for the amount that he's getting paid. So my answer to you, Alex, is if they find someone at a good price, sure, cut him. But if not, keep them and then uh, live to fight another day at strong safety and potentially draft for one in uh, in 2025. The question that uh, Matt, that uh, I laughed at, Matt wrote in, is 2024 the year Christian Wade finally gets his shot on the Bills? Christian Wade, who once upon a time was a guest on the Buffalo Beat Podcast way back when. Talk to him about Love Island. That was uh, at the end of the interview. But um, yeah, Christian Wade, uh, his his NFL days are over. <laughs> Very nice guy. Um, but he has not been with the organization for quite some time now. So, <laughs> so Mike wrote in, someone seriously just asked about Christian Wade. I think it was tongue in cheek. And if it wasn't, that's outstanding. Larone writes in thoughts on free agents, uh, free agents uh, at safety. Kyle Duggar seems like a great fit, but money can get weird. Thanks. Well, Larone, Kyle Duggar would be a great fit, but it's looking like he's a potential franchise tag candidate for the Patriots. And if that's the case, then that option is out. Duggar is someone that they really liked in the draft process the year he came out and you know, the Patriots wound up scooping him in in the early second round when it seemed like the Bills were 
quite interested in doing the same once their pick was on the board in that second round. But yeah, Duggar, I think they'll probably be priced out of that market. Tom writes, recall the the Bills imploring Bean to select a cornerback and he picked Kyir Elam. Tom writes, hopefully that's a lesson learned. Shouldn't the Bills just draft the best player, defensive tackle, free safety, defensive end, wide receiver, then, then just automatically draft an X receiver in the first round? I agree with your sentiment, Tom. And that's why every offseason you'll hear and you'll see me write the following phrase. Value meets need. That is the number one way that I think Brandon Bean normally goes about things. The Kair Elam year, you know, it was a bit of a, a panic pick to me because I think they really liked Trent McDuffie out of Washington. He went after Kansas City traded up to get him. The Bills didn't want to lose out on what they felt like was a tier of cornerbacks. They move up, a micro move, to go get Kyir Elam, and it has not worked out so far. Not really a fit for the defensive scheme to this point. So yes, conceivably, the Bills should draft the best player on their board, but that's also a need. And you kind of laid it out, the positions that they could use in the draft, like a, a young influx of talent. So yeah, that 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 should be how they go about it. But from everything that I've seen from our guy at the Athletic, Dane Brugler, this is a, a pretty nice wide receiver class. And there's a solid shot that there's going to be a, a, a player where the value meets the need at 28 or potentially even earlier because – you know, you can never quite rule out Brandon Bean trading up in, in the draft. I think that's uh, very much in the cards, especially now that he has 10 picks this season or th this draft. One of those being essentially like an early fourth rounder is their uh, their late third rounder that they get for as a compensatory selection for Tremaine Edmonds. I could easily see them pa packaging that pick and something else to move up from 28. That's uh, very high up on my radar. All right, uh, we've got time for a couple more. Mike writes in, is Ryan Bates a cut candidate? 15th highest cap hit on the roster for a backup interior lineman, or do they value him as a potential replacement for Mitch Morse? He could be a cut candidate, but I think there's there's a way that to get both things here. Because he still has a, um, a solid amount of... Um, of dead cap. Let me find the exact number. Dead cap, if released, is $4 million, which means they would only get about 633000 in savings when you deduct the contract that would have to go into the top 51 for him. So my solution to this is, because he's a backup and firmly entrenched as a backup, get him to agree to a restructure with a pay cut that comes in the form of incentives that he could earn back. They they've done this multiple times over the last couple of off seasons with players that are not in as big of roles that they still want to maintain. And the emphasis for the player to do it 
is because they don't have any guaranteed money uh, left on their deal, which is the case with Bates here. So since he had does is isn't owed a cent by the team, the Bills could say, "All right, let's let's turn one and a half million of your base salary into incentives, which would come off the cap and give them savings, but they'd also get to keep the player." Bates would get some guaranteed money for the season. And they would also be saving, in this case, double of of what they would get if they were to just cut him. So I don't think he's a cut candidate. I think he's a restructure with pay cut candidate. Last question. Oh, gotta love a good comp pick question. Josh writes in, comp picks for 2025. Would Gabe Davis net one if they don't have a signing? I think there are several players that could uh, potentially sign elsewhere that could qualify for them to get towards a compensatory, multiple compensatory selections in 2025, depending on what they do in free agency. I look at Gabe Davis, Leonard Floyd, AJ Epinesa, Daquan Jones, if they don't re-sign him, Tyrell Dodson. I'll even throw David Edwards into this bucket because he's someone that has a lot of starting experience. He showed he was healthy all last year, and teams are always looking for starting caliber offensive lineman. So I could easily see him um, signing a contract that would qualify. So then it just depends on how many free agents they sign and how many of those would cancel out. But yeah, Gabe Davis, the potential is definitely there for him to net one for the Bills. Like I said, same thing with Floyd, Epinesa, Jones, Dodson, and Edwards. I think those are the best candidates for it. All right. Oh, someone wrote in Scott Chandler as a as a tight end that that they uh, <laughs> think about. Sure, Chandler had some good seasons, but the fact that we're bringing up Chandler, Charles Clay, and stuff like that eh, probably doesn't. Due respect to Scott Chandler, is a very nice guy. Probably means that the tight end position hasn't had the richest of histories for the Bills. All right, be it as it may. That's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for jumping in on this live room episode of the Buffalo Bee Podcast. I will be heading out to Indianapolis on Sunday for the NFL Combine. Sean McDermott will be speaking on Monday. Brandon, Brandon Bean will be speaking on Tuesday. Lots of news will be coming out next week, so be sure to, uh, to keep checking over at The Athletic, and uh, we'll be doing a... a a, an episode sometime in the next couple of weeks to kind of wrap up and, and get ourselves ready for the rest of the off. All right. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks everyone for listening and we will talk to you next time. See you then.